0: may be seated. Well, we want to welcome all of you to church today, and we're going to have some fun after service um, with food and uh, some of the games and uh, pictures and those types of things, so we just want to welcome you all. Um, You know, there's a comic strip. Some of us are old enough to know what comic strips are and uh, and newspapers and so on, but uh, Charlie Brown... Is that up there, Charlie Brown? Yeah. So Charlie Brown, and um, uh, there was this one particular one with Lucy, and Lucy would open up her psych- psychiatric, uh, uh, psychiatric, like a um, counseling or whatever, free advice she'd give for five cents or ten cents, and they have these little bits of stories. And uh, on this one, she says to Charlie Brown, she "says Life is like a a deck chair on a cruise ship." Right? And she says, some people place the chairs on the back facing the rear so they could see where they've been. And she says, some people place the chairs in the front so they could see where they are going. Right? And uh, she asks Charlie Brown, you know, where would you put your uh, deck chair? And Charlie Brown, you know, at the end says, I've never even been able to unfold a deck chair, right? It's kind of the complication of life, right? Uh, I mean, it's interesting, right? And if we were all on this cruise ship, let's imagine this Portola High School, this room was a cruise ship. How many of you would have your deck chairs in the back? Just show your hands, in the back, and you would want to see all the back. Okay, nowhere. Okay. Now, how many of you in the front, you want to see where you're going? All right? So everyone's in the room, right? Everyone's just in your little rooms, um, right? Looking at your phones, uh, whatever it is. That's what we would do. You know, I I thought this was kind of interesting, right? Because... Um, where do you sit? Where do you go? Past. When we think about the past, a lot of us are now struck with the ideas of guilt, pain, regret. You often hear someone who's a, a decade or two older will say to someone younger, say, man, I wish I was your age. And I say that often to my kids and uh, some of the younger guys here at church. Man, I wish I was your age. Because I could have made some different choices. I could have adjusted some things. I could have uh, maybe not made those mistakes. And sometimes we look to the future. And a lot of us, when we think about the future, the words like worry, anxiety, fear come to mind. Our society today is more and more filled with anxiety as we think about the future. And these what if questions hit all of us. You could fill in the blank. What if I don't get in? What if I can't hang? What if I go and, you know, I don't make it? What if I don't have enough? What if she says no when I ask her out? What if he asks me out? You know, like whatever, you know, questions we might have. And we have these concerns. And it's interesting, right? And, and, just, and then the third category I want to kind of slip in there is the present day. Why are we working so hard today? Tomorrow morning, a lot of you are going to be going to work fighting this 405, 5 traffic. And sometimes you're going, Why am I doing this? Why am I so busy? Why am I dragging my kids to so many things? Why? And it's in the midst of this, it's interesting. You know, Jesus has told the disciples by John 14, He says, I'm leaving, I'm going. And all of this fear arises, right? And you see in verse 5, Thomas asks a question. Uh, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? In verse 8, Philip now pops up with a question. Show us the Father. Is it enough for us? Verse 22, the other Judas, not Iscariot, says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself? So all these questions are coming up. They're all just starting to panic. And they're really, I think, they're panicking about their past The present of why they're doing what they're doing. And then the destination of where are you going? Why aren't we going there? What's tomorrow hold? And it's in the midst of that Jesus simply says in verse 1. That's the context of it. And he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Those are some comforting words. For some of you, you came and those are the words that you just needed to hear. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The word believe is not just a, a mental exercise, but it's the word that means to trust in. I trust in this person. I trust in that person. That means not only do they exist, but now they are worthy of my trust. And that is a thought that is here, right? That we see. And so Jesus answers them, and I want to look at that again. When he says to believe in me, and that somehow, ultimately, answers those pressing issues of our lives. Our past, regrets and sins, the present day life, the meaning of life. As uh, I read in an article that it is the most complex question that is asked to Google, right? And then the future of, what does tomorrow hold? Am I going to get there? Am I going to make it? When we pause and look back and we go to the back of the cruise ship and we look back on our lives, um, people will talk about guilt and pain, um, regrets, sins, mistakes. And yet the gospel of Christ is talking about forgiveness. He forgives us. Uh, What a wonderful thought that is. You know, in verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? this is a language of forgiveness. Remember, in the very uh, previous chapter, he's already saying, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. It's going to be really bad. The first people at the tomb are going to be the women. It's not even going to be you guys. And now they're in fear already. They don't deserve anything from God. Uh, they've made already so many mistakes. And now he says, but no, I go to prepare a place for you. This is language of grace. You know, it's C.S. Lewis uh, there's a story about him that once he entered, um, he, there was a gathering of religious leaders and they were having a discussion on uh, plurality of faith, and what distinguishes, and the topic was, what, uh, how is Christianity distinguished from the other religions, and all these PhDs and scholars were talking about the different facets of all the religions, and he walks in, and he hears the, almost a ruckus in the room as everyone is now debating this, and he says, I have something to say, and everyone kind of pauses as the famed C.S. Lewis walked in, and he says simply this, that the difference of Christianity, it's easy, It's grace. The whole room, and paused, and then they said, yeah, I think that is the main difference. I met a guy on a plane, his name was Art, and um, we were just chit-chatting a little bit. You know, oh, you're going home, where do, you, where do you live, blah, 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 and so on. But I still remember he asked me, um, he said, hey, so Steve, what do you do? All right? And really for pastors, it's a really interesting question. Because I get all sorts of responses, right? I've had people confess like, all their sins. I'm like, hey, You know, I've had people now want to debate and so on. But anyway, so he asked me, so well, Steve, so what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. Really? And he paused, and I, I think I threw him off, you know, as it was the shorts or the flip flops. He's like, Pastor, you? I'm um, like, yeah, you know, that's uh, what my mom says still, you know? Um, anyways, I said, well, that's. And he says, um, he says, well, Oh, wow. He goes, oh, that's, that's neat. And so I kind of asked him, I said, well, what do you believe? He goes, well, I'm, I'm Hindu. I, I, I'm a Hindu. I said, oh, okay, what does Hindu believe? Hindus believe? And he said, oh, well, I believe in reincarnation. You know, like, good, you become, go up the food chain. If you're bad, you're going to drop a few levels in the food chain, and so on and so forth. I said, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. And I said, well, you know, um, the gospel, a Christian, and he asked me, what does Christians believe? I said, Christians believe you're all bad, <laughs> like we're all bad, right? All have sinned, so we're only going to move down the food chain, and it's by the merits of Christ we get to go to heaven. He goes, oh, wow. And it also, he was very sincere, and he, he paused for a moment, and he asked again, he said, well, I have a question for you. He said, I have a four-year-old son. And he looked like he was in his early 30s. I oh, wow, that's wonderful. He goes, How do I make sure that he is good? How do I make sure that he understands God? And he was asking this question almost as a rhetorical question. He was almost thinking out loud. And I let him just kind of dwell on that himself. And and he was thinking about that. And I, I thought about that question as a parent. If I believe my child, a toddler... A toddler is based on, and it's going to be reincarnated by their good deeds and bad deeds. We all, some of you have had toddlers. Some of you have toddlers. Uh, all of us have been toddlers. We've all been a lot, had a lot more bad deeds than good days, right? Mom and dad usually say, no, you know, bad boy. No, don't eat that. Don't hit your sister. Don't do this. Don't, you know, do this to the dog. They see that often, and the days are often... No worse than they are good, right? What toddler do we know that all of a sudden wants to share and clean the house and go to Target and not grab anything? Say, Mom, just you just buy what you want, Mom. Here's some money for you. I mean, what, what do they do that, right? And uh, he was thinking about that, and I was thinking about this as well. What do we do about the past? What do we do about our sins? When I come before God, and God expects perfection, and all of religion is now trying to perform before God, all the religions are trying to perform, am I good enough? You know, there's a study done by a man named Terry Muck, and he studied a group of Buddhist monks in Sri Lanka, and he wanted to study their legalism. Legalism meaning, what are their religious laws, how do they keep it? And he found that the monks in Sri Lanka, in this particular area, had 212 laws. These 212 laws or rules of the Buddha that they kept were supposed to govern their life. It's supposed to now make them uh, someone that can get to nirvana or whatnot. But he watched them. And one of the rules was, as a monk, they're not allowed to carry money. You are dependent on the goodness of others and you, you beg all day for food or money. So they're not allowed to carry money. But something he saw that was interesting is they'd all take the bus. And when they got on the bus, they'd all pull out money out of their kind of secret pockets and their, you know, jumpsuits or whatever they were wearing. And they, they, they put it in. So he, whoa. So he asked them, um, do you know the, do, do you guys obey the 212 rules of the Buddha? Oh, yes, we all do. Do you know that uh, one of the rules is you can't carry money? Yeah, yeah, we all do. <laughs> and they say, oh, do you carry money? Yeah, we all do you obey the 212 commandments? Yeah, yeah, we all do. And it was just this flat-out kind of a fool-myself denial. And he was just shocked. And one of the other things that there was, one of the 212 rules was, after 12 o'clock or noon, they're not allowed to eat because they didn't want them going to beg for too much food and burden the people in the area. So these rules, one of the 12 was, you're not allowed to eat after 12. But he would see them. They're having lunch past 12. He would see them, they're snacking in the afternoon. He would see them, they're having dinner. He said, oh, scratching his head, so he wanted to see. He said, hey, uh, do you you obey the 212 rules of the Buddha? Oh, yes, we do. Do you know that you're not allowed to eat after noon? And they said, oh, yes, yeah, we we do. Do you obey that rule? He goes, well, yeah, we do. But I see you eating after 12. He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, at 1159, we all stop our watches. They all literally stop their watches. And they just gorge and they eat. I mean, it's party time, right? And then after the last meal, all right, start it up. Okay, it's 7 p.m. and they go on. And not that I'm judging them, but in a lot of ways, as we get older, we're just the same. We think we, as we get older, we rationalize things. We come up with truths about God in our own minds. Oh, you know, God doesn't care if we don't do this. Oh, God's not like this. Oh, you know, and we've never studied or read a book, but we come up with all sorts of opinions. And the older we get, oh, you know, this is fine. This is how it's supposed to be. Oh, all these churches are wrong, or all these are right, and we come up with our own conclusions often to somehow justify the fact that I've got an issue. What am I going to do with my sin? Jesus Christ offers grace, right? The theologians call it imputation. His righteousness as a perfect son of God is put upon us. He pays the price for us. Ah, I say, that's different. The second thing is our purpose of every day. As Google, as everyone goes on Google and asks, what's the meaning of life? What am I living for? What gives my life meaning? What gives it purpose, And uh, if we don't understand this, right? Socrates says that the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. Have we paused and thought about this? It's interesting because Jesus here, he answers, and it's very subtle, but he answers not by, here's the ten things you should be living for, but the one thing that he gives to them is himself, a relationship with himself. Uh, Look at verse uh, 3, and I... Go, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And there's a little phrase, and I take you to myself. So it wasn't so much a destination. Some people get caught up in these rooms. You know, is it literal rooms? Is it like a hotel, five star? Is it was by good. Is it like a Ritz Carlton? Is it a suite? It, it's not even about that. It's about taking us to Himself. We are together now with Christ. We are with Him. And how important that is. Um, you know, there was that old song by Jimmy Duarte that makes someone happy, right? You guys know that song and you've, you've heard it. Uh, um, and he simply says, It's so important to make someone happy. Fame, if you win it, comes and goes in a minute. Where is the real stuff in life to cling to? Love is the answer. Someone to love is the answer. Just make someone happy and you will be happy too. Uh, we experience this. The moment, uh, the moment I, I became a dad and I held my baby for the first time, I thought, oh my gosh, I have to live. Right? I have to live a long time. I, I, you know, I got to get life insurance. You know, my life has to be worth a lot more. I got to take care. The way I drove changed right? Everything, the money I spent now, I was very careful because all of a sudden my life had meaning because of someone else. The love I had. uh, A man and a woman will get married and boy, they fall in love and boy, now they have to do things as they consider the other person. Their life has more value and meaning. But the one who is ultimately with us here is Jesus himself. We experience this through children, through spouses, through friends. We say, boy, they give me meaning. They add value to my life. But the most valuable one says, I'll take it to myself. I'll take it to myself that we are with him. It's interesting, there's an article written by a lady, a lady named Cynthia Heimel. and She was observing kind of the culture in New York and she wrote this article and Tim Keller posted this. And I remember reading this Um, and she talks about how everyone, so many people come to the big city um, to try to make it, fame and riches and whatnot. And she talks about how some of these people, they come and they um, worked as bartenders or the bouncer or the store clerk at Bloomingdale's. She remembers specific people and how they just had these various jobs just to get by. And all of a sudden, they make it. They get fame, they get money. And she comes, and, and she's known people like, Um, Julia Roberts, and she's known other famous people, Sylvester Stallone she names, and so on and so forth. And she comes to a conclusion, and this is what she says. She says, one of the funny things is that after they got famous, if anything, they were more unhappy, more angry, and more mean than they were before. And she says, why? Because the giant thing, they were striving for the fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and so-called happiness, it happened, and nothing changed. They were still them. Nothing changed. They were still them. Some of us, you have arrived. I'm not saying arrived as in you're all rich and famous, but somehow you got to a place you know, you're working and you have a place or whatnot and you worked hard to get somewhere. It really changes. And so we have to pause and think, what gives my life meaning today as I go to work or as I study and I'm stressing over these things? It ultimately is the love I get from Christ and how important that is. And the last thing that we see here is this look into the future. Anxiety, worries today. Um, There are so many studies and articles done that the level of anxiety is higher today than any other time in history. It now hits all of our young teenagers. Um, You see, all the future is now getting bleaker. Anxiety, worries, the what-ifs. And Jesus answers this question that Thomas asks him in verse 5. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? This is all about the future. Where are you going? How are we going to get there? And he's not asking just simply for a guide map. He's saying, what is our way of getting there? Are we going to make it? And Jesus answers with this famous phrase in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, here's the way. What he tells us is the truth. that's trustworthy. And What we have is a life. And so he says to follow him in this way. And he says, I take care of the future. Um, now, today is a, a happy day. We're, we're dressed nice, and uh, in the back we have all these bouncers. These bouncers were never around when I was a kid, right? Uh, I think it's a modern thing. Um, I made the mistake of going in one once and almost never being able to get out. But anyways, that's a whole other story. Uh, my daughters um, laughed really hard, so I did it for their enjoyment, right? But anyways, uh, on a day like this, what we think about this, right? All of us one day will lose our health. Someone once said that everything we own, think of everything that you possess right now, your shoes, your car, your house, whatever it is, at what level, everything will go in the trash one day. Everything will go in the trash. Some of you, you got a car this year, you love that car, you think it's so nice, it has so many features. Before you know it, there'll be some 16-year-old embarrassed to be driving your car around one day, right? One of these years, oh, this car, right? This car, you have to actually push buttons, and this car, you have to drive it and pay attention, Right, I don't want this car. Your house. Maybe you got a house and you, you saw HGTV and you saw, man, an open floor plan is what everyone's talking about so I could entertain people. And you did all this. One day someone will come into your house and says, oh my gosh, this is so archaic. We need to close this off for some privacy. What is the point of a big room? Let's just destroy this. This is horrible. Let's just build something new and livable. it all happened to everything. All your gadgets, all your toys one day. How important it is for us to cling to something that won't end up in the garbage can. Our future with God, in Christ. that he'll take us there. You know, there's a story in a, a book called Finding Your Way by Gary Laferla. He tells a story from the Second World War about the U.S. Astoria, the ship in battle. And as the ship is in battle, um, they are now taking out the Japanese and the enemies and there's going back and forth and uh, the Astoria ends up taking a couple of big hits and eventually it starts to sink there's the story of uh, a Midwesterner, a young man uh, named Signalman, third class Elgin Staples. Elgin Staples ends up getting, uh, something explodes, shrapnel hits his legs and he falls into the water and he thought he was going to die. And he is floating in the water, he cannot kick or swim, he has all these injuries, but he's floating there by his life vest. And this life vest is keeping him alive. And he can't help but to notice this life vest. He can't kick or swim or go anywhere, and he looks at the life vest, and he looks at the quality of it, and it's so well made, and the buckles and the straps and the stitching is there. Eventually he gets uh, picked up in a few hours. And he gets uh, rescued, and he thought, boy, we're going to make it, but the war is still going, and then he ends up going back into the water. That ship gets destroyed, and he's back in the water again, and he's now clinging to this life vest, and he is realizing, boy, this is my Savior. This is my life. And he notices the stitching, he notices there's a particular number on it, and so on and so forth. And he finally gets rescued, and he asks the captain of uh, the ship that was there about this life vest. Where is this made? This is so well made. It was made in Akron, Ohio. Because Akron, Ohio, that's where I live. He goes, that's where I'm from. He goes, really? Where in Akron, Ohio? He goes, oh, the, but the Bridgestone Company, the rubber company, There, they, they, they manufacture these. And so he goes home, and he tells his mom who works at the Bridgestone Company. He goes, do you know about these life vests that they made? She goes, yeah, of course I know. I, I, I inspected them. She goes, really? And she goes, mine saved my life. And there was a particular number, and she, he tells his mom, this is the number. What's the number about it? She, she freezes in shock. And she says, that number was the inspector's number. Every inspector had their number, and they would put a stamp. And They made it very personal because they told the inspectors, you're all part of this war. You're going to save someone's life. And they would inspect all, now, the ribbons and all the stitching and all the uh, uh, buckles and everything. Okay, it's up to standard. And she goes, I stamped that life vest. He was saved without knowing by the work of his mom back at home. And I share this with you because when life is here and it, it ends, we go to be with our Maker. And I think we'll have that moment as this young man did. We'll come to him and say, Lord Jesus, how am I here? How am I at the Father's house? How am I in heaven? And He's there who has saved us in this way. And we now get a grasp of this. My prayer for us on this very special day, we get this idea of Jesus Christ not being some mythical figure, not being some distant God, but someone that came in history. You know, the way we keep our years, all of a sudden, changed. history has just changed. B.C. and A.D. And the way that the people lived and civilizations have lived now changed after his resurrection. There's a scholar named N.T. Wright who said, if Jesus never rose again... No one would ever heard of him. Because there are so many people that were crucified. They hung on that cross and they died. And the cross now, back then, was a symbol of torture. Now it's a symbol of hope. People wear it on their necklace. It covers most tombstones in our country. Um, we wouldn't do that with electric chair or noose. Those are symbols of death. But all of a sudden, Christ took the symbol of death, and then that became a symbol of hope. And he says to you and all of us here, come follow me, just as he did to these disciples. And so I want to share that with you today. I want you to think about this in the next uh, month at church. We're going to be going through what is this life like from Ecclesiastes 7. I want you to walk together with us through this to grow in faith to celebrate the one who gives us all that we need for from our past to our future to the hustle of everyday life he gives us that meaning let's pray thank you Lord for your goodness to us in Jesus Christ and uh, Lord we celebrate you here today for our friends God who have all come to visit today Lord uh, um, may You, uh, speak to them at this place, this time. Um, Help us, Lord, uh, have this faith in you. We thank you, God. Uh, We want to continue our worship with you here. In Jesus' name, amen.